Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. Well, quite the honor to sit down and chat with you. <laughs> nice to see you again. We'll start off with that. <laughs> Good to see you too, Luke. Nice. Uh, how did AWSI turn out for you guys? It did. It went pretty well. Um, being out in the parking lot, we did a lot better than we thought we would. Uh, we got quite a few masks on the water. A lot of people got them on the water. A lot of people liked them. So we had some buzz. And since then, we've been rather slammed. Yeah? Okay. So, oh, yeah. It's, we've been pumping about 50 masks a week out. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Pretty happy about that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Especially being late season. Nice. So how uh, how's Maui treating you? Maui's always good. Uh, we've started seeing some winter swells, which is nice. We're starting to see some bumps. Um, and in true Maui form, we get some bumps and wind goes away. So they've made for some interesting days. Oh, yeah, I don't doubt. And milk it knotted up on the rocks. Fair enough. So where are you sailing? Most of the time in the winter, I mostly go out of Kaw. Okay. Um, just a little bit of a buffer there. And the set waves get kind of outside, so you have a chance to get out to them. Um, when, just, when I just got back here, um, most of it's at uh, Kanaha at Uppers. So it's by the right place to have waves or doing downwinders. Windsurfing or and, uh, getting on that wingding? I'm pretty much strictly winging these days. I had to get the knee replaced a couple years ago, so my windsurfing days are numbered. Oh, really? I can still windsurf, but I'm not allowed to jump. Okay. And I don't know why I would windsurf if I couldn't jump. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Don't want to mow the lawn. No, I guess not. But how how's winging then there? I've heard some spectacular things about winging in Maui. Winging in Maui is really good. Uh, there are some really great wave spots that aren't too treacherous. I mean, they still are sketchy, but just there's a it's a really good winging environment. Uh, I mean, Kanaha all the way down through Pier One is really good winging conditions. If you want to be brave, you can go chase some really big stuff at Okipa and that type of thing. But I'm also learning why the guys that chase that stuff do not have leashes on their wings. And I had a big hole down yesterday from that. So, oh yeah, oh oh yeah. It's... When the wing gets trapped in, you know, hit high plus white water, it just starts dragging you. Oh, it's gonna keep dragging until it finally comes loose. It's not like a surfboard or something that pops out eventually. And I was uh. That's a long hold down. Fair enough. So, yeah, that got my attention. I was like, okay, now, oh yeah. These bigger days, I may start going without a leash. Oh, yeah, I guess everybody, uh, board leash as well, or are they cutting that too? No, nah, board leash I'm okay with. Um, the board doesn't pull that hard. It's not much different than a surfboard, you know? Okay. But the wing leash kind of, you know, like I said, it just kind of gets tumbled and tumbled and held in the white water. Just, you're getting dragged about a foot underneath the water and there's nothing you can do about it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess Reese from Ocean Rodeo was developing this new release system, and I hadn't. Yeah, I think they're just starting to use that on wings, and they're going to make it so a lot of brands can carry that. Does that make sense? That'll be. Yeah, that'll. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. So, while I was getting dragged, I was like, okay, how am I going to get this leash off my wrist? There's no way I'm going to do it. Oh, because your other arm's just flailing back, right? Well, in you know, it's strapped around your wrist, and you can get Velcro. It's not going to come over your hand easily, and like this is a good situation holy shit how long were you down for it you know uh must have been three or four days but now <laughs> yeah. i was probably about 
20, 20 second, 30 second old down, which is a long, it is a long one. Okay. It was long enough that I was like, okay, I need to relax more. So I'm not consuming oxygen as much. Yeah. You had to think about it. And just kept hoping that wing would pop out of the white water. Well, it's good for us to know because it's not really something that for those of us who aren't in whitewater as often and get a little antsy and excited about it, I think all these are new new problems or new things that we got to keep in mind. Yeah, it was about a year or so ago, uh, a couple of the you know, hotshot F1 guys were out at, uh, out at uh, the other end of the island in some big conditions. And I saw some video from there and, and you know, one guy got munched and just threw his wing up in the air. I was like, wait, why doesn't he run a leash? And now I'm kind of understanding why he's not running a leash. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I think once it gets much over, you know, head, head and a half and especially areas where you have a lot of white water, definitely going to need to be niches, I think. Okay. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. And become a better swimmer. Yeah, that's on the to-do list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely. Well, hey, can... um. Can we take a step back into into history and and talk a little bit about how all of this got started? Sure, of course. Um, this uh, well, I started uh, innovative composite engineering ICE back in 1990. Um, I was I was born and raised in the Midwest. Was living back in Indiana. Uh, was been a windsurfer. I hate to say this, but I think since 1978. Hey, good um, for you. I think I was better than I should be, but I, I still suck. But I, I learned very early on in Lake Superior how to windsurf and kind of kept chasing that all the, all my life. And uh, got up to the gorge a couple of times in the mid-80s. And just kind of over time, you know, through some work changes, this and that, I finally just decided, how are I going to be? I'm going to start my own company. And uh, so in doing so, I kind of decided where I wanted to be, which was... The gorge made a lot of sense at the time. Um, I mean, when I moved to Hood River, half of downtown was boarded up, and I was able to rent five thousand feet or five thousand square feet for fifty bucks a month. Whoa! It was a great place to start a company. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I basically moved there, started the company. Uh, the intent of the company was to build composite parts and use some of the technology I knew from my previous history working in an industry to bring higher end composites down market. And uh, windsurfing, the Nolimit side came about mostly because I was out of mast. I broke my last mast and I need a mast. I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be a composite guy. I shouldn't make my own mast. And so I got a tool and made a couple of masts and so I keep sailing. So I keep being a bum. <laughs> and then guys on the beach are like, where the heck, what is that? And I'm talking about it. I'm like, well, can you make me one? I'm like, sure. So I go and make masts at night and sell on the beach for beer money during the day. And uh, that's kind of how no one that's really started to get a name and start happening oh wow so that's pretty cool but uh but the real um the real start of the comp- the company was mostly building antennas for cell phone broadcast Good. that was the first real work that we got and that was just in that was in 1990 91 just when cell phones are started become something real and we built hundreds and hundreds of thousands of 10 foot long tuition number tubes for cell phone broadcast for many years. Hmm. So, okay. Yeah, really good at making tubes and making masks. And, and then slowly over time, we branched out into aerospace and military and all sorts of other 
fun things, interesting things. Yeah, because I was just checking out your website and you got a bunch of different categories and cool categories under recreational yeah. too. Like it's not just uh, not just windsurfing or now weighing. It was also biking and some other things yeah. too, right? Yeah, we've done a lot of stuff in the bike industry over the years. Um, way back in the day, we worked with uh, Specialized and their first carbon bikes. Uh, we worked with Trek way back in the day and their first carbon bikes. Um, have set up several carbon fiber bike manufacturing operations. Uh, Guru Cycles was one we set up back in the day and built all their stuff. Um, independent Fab, IF, we built their carbon stuff. Uh, Parlay, on and on. Um, most recent thing in biking was we were doing all the Argonaut frames for a few years until we finally transitioned all that stuff to them. We got them to make their own frames on it, which was kind of nice. <laughs> we've never made a, I don't think we've ever made a set in bike industry. Okay. But we've had off on it. Oh yeah, I guess it would be. So how did you kind of gather that knowledge initially? Was that, uh, um, engineering. I've, I've got a BS mechanical engineering. Um, my master's work was in composites. Um, one of my first jobs was doing bar armor mips for the Bradley M1, M1s. So that was early composite stuff. I was doing back in the mid eighties. Hmm. Okay. And then also worked on the F-16 program and some composite stuff and some various things. Oh, wow. How was that back in the and day? It all came from just being a windsurfing bum. That just came from being a windsurfing bum, like, you know, straight glue. So. <laughs> and then the No Limit Skinny 340 was born. <laughs> the Skinny. Um, you want history and the Skinny? I would love history and the Skinny before we get into winging. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the winging podcast is on windsurfing. <laughs> yeah, right no, now. we're going to be windsurfing right um, now. <laughs> yeah. Um, the skinny came about, I think, in 92. This episode is brought to you by the Fit for Surfing program. If you're looking to take your wing foil skills to the next level and ride those waves like a pro, listen up. Are you tired of watching others make it look effortless while you're struggling to keep up? Well, I have a game changer for you. Introducing the Fit for Surfing program. It's a comprehensive training program designed to transform you into the wing foil legend you actually are. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced winger, this program is tailored just for you. So why should you consider the Fit for Surfing program? First off, it's not just about hitting the gym or doing random workouts. It's a holistic approach that covers surf-specific exercises, flexibility training, and mental conditioning. This program is being used by pros from around the world that are currently on tour including our main man, Max Robinson. So to get started, click on the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get an amazing 50% off the first month when you sign up. Your dreams of conquering those waves, lakes, and rivers and becoming a true wingfoiler can become their reality with the Fit for Surfing program. This is your chance to unlock your full surfing potential and join the ranks of those top surfers worldwide like those on tour. So don't miss out on this incredible opportunity. Get ready to wing like you've never winged before with the Fit for Surfing program. Click the link in the description and use the discount code WINGLIFEPODCAST50 to get started today. Um, there's an individual down in Australia, George Greeno. Interesting character, had been building all of his own gear for years, had really kind of wild, like hall-shaped boards he made that were like six feet long. And he like ground his own fins out of stainless steel. And just, I mean, George is a really neat guy. And he um, decided he made his own sails or also made his own mask because he wanted his own kind of weird banker thing. 
Mm. And to make masks, they just took a piece of uh, plastic, you know, plumbing pipe and started laying up on it and dried it down to get the bends he wanted. Yeah. And so he built a bunch of masks that way. And uh, then there was a wildfire or brush fire down there that kind of wiped out all of his windsurfing gear and burnt all his masks up. And so he got a hold of us and got a hold of me and said, hey, you know, I need to, I need some more masks. And he kind of explained to me what he had been doing. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. He's <laughs> like, yeah, but you know, you make me some masks. I just don't want to deal with all this headache and stuff again. And so I looked at what he had done, which is kind of a smaller diver thing that he had done, all straight and weird. And I kind of stepped back and looked more at the basics from an engineering standpoint. And if you go back to the early 70s when the windsurfer was designed, uh, the developer of that whole thing, uh, he developed the bank curve he wanted and the stiffness he wanted. And he gave that to an engineer who then designed a mask, a tapering mask out of fiberglass based on the mechanical properties of fiberglass. And so that's what that's how the traditional mask came to be. It was designed from the start to be a fiberglass mask. Over our history as windsurfers, we started adding carbon fiber into mass and making carbon mass. And in the you know mid '80s, a lot of the carbon mass were out there coming out, and all these guys doing carbon mass were just copying the exact size and diameters as the mass that was built in fiberglass. And since carbon fiber is much stiffer than fiberglass, they had to go thinner and thinner walls to make them bend right. Oh yeah. And that also then led to more and more mass breaking and snapping all the time. Um. I mean, back in the day, back in the early 80s, the the tank of all mass was the Ampro Gray Wave. So I'm not sure if that pre- if you even know what an Ampro Gray Wave is. But it was a fiberglass mass that weighed 10 pounds, and it was indestructible. But it was a beast, and it was all designed around fiberglass. And so I looked at all that data, and we'd done the same thing, making elements mass, you know, we used the same diameters, and we knew from making different mass, you know, either, a, you know, three pound raised mast or a five pound wave mast. We knew what was strong, what wasn't, uh, what wall thicknesses worked, what didn't. And so I kind of just took the, went back to the drawing board, took the properties of carbon fiber, the stiffness and strength of carbon fiber, um, kind of the wall thicknesses we knew worked well for strong mass and did the engineering from scratch. And that's what actually ended up being the diameters that ended up being skinny. Wow. It uh, was a much smaller diameter mask because the material was stiffer. So we had to go smaller diameter to get the bend right. Um, I made a couple compromises in there um, because we had to make it work with existing windsurfing gear, right? <laughs> so we had to make it work with bases and, bases and booms. And so I actually increased the diameter of the base a little bit so it would fit inside of a standard windsurfing base, right? And then in the boom area, I actually came up with the shim material that we could buy. So I made the diameters of the mat of the boom area, the mass to work with that shim. So it would work with standard booms. And that's kind of how the diameters all came about. And it was different than what George wanted, but it was close enough that he said, yeah, it'll work for him. And so we made a tool, uh, made the first mast, first full mast, bent them. They bent good or they looked good. And um, we had a machine we built back in the day that we used to break masks for seeing how strong they'd be. And then basically we'd put a mask, you know, we'd mount in the machine and just start pulling off. There'd be this big curve, right? 
they're fighting Bender enough they blow up. And um, the machine we had, it had about a five foot stroke. And most masks would, like a race mask would be about two feet of stroke or blow up. Mostly good weight masks we made were about three and a half feet of stroke and blow up. And at that point, I mean, you're talking, you know, three, four feet of bend in the mast. And uh, so we threw the first one mask, the first couple of skins on there, ran that whole thing, completely compressed it. The mast just sat there. This huge chute just sat there, like, oh crap. So we released that and we modified and put some pre bend in the mast, even further and further. Fired at the point that the ends were only like two feet from touching before it finally blew up. Wow. We're like, wow, this is way stronger than we expected. Wow. And uh, so that's kind of, so we're pretty happy about that. Good strength. Uh, the next big one was we didn't know what we were going to do to get sail makers to work with us. Because, of course, a skinny mask made a different sail. At least we thought it did. Um, I actually took uh, the first math, the first full mask we made, went out on a dawn patrol session and used them in just the sails I had, which at the time were some Waddells, I think. And I was shocked the sail felt the same. It didn't sail any different. Other than I'm also out there and, you know, on a big day and, you know, it's a hatch on the three pound mast instead of a five pound mast. Oh, yeah. I was like, wow, this actually feels okay. It seems to work. And a couple of guys I know that will remain nameless uh, showed up and they asked what the hell it was. I gave one of them one of those masks and told them to go out and break it. And they went out there and just pogoed it and pogoed it and pogoed it. Just under rotating ports over and over again. Could not do anything to it. Including actually doing an endo into the rocks. Wow. At the point. Yeah. Yeah, that was. That's what I'm saying. This person here remained nameless. <laughs> Fair enough. They were not, wasn't the smartest move ever. But uh, they couldn't break it. And I was like, okay, this seems to work. And uh, went over to Hood River and went to see a couple of sailmakers I knew and took the mask with me then to them and showed to them. And they're like, oh, this will never work. I said, well, can you, you know, can we rig it up and look at it? And got them to rig it up. And they're like, you know, this thing looks fine. It looks great. So at that point, we're like, okay, I think this thing's going to work with standard sales. And that's kind of how the whole thing came about. Um, George himself, he wants some different curves, some weird curves. We made those weird curves, shipped those down to him in Australia, and he still sails those to this day. And uh, we started making the skinny mess. Oh, no way. And um, and at the time, uh, we made pre-trick mass and PowerX made pre-trick mass. And I knew that the other mass company, the big dog in the room, was going to come out and combat this immediately as soon as they heard about it. So I actually sent all the design work to PowerX said, here guys, let's both show up to the show with these masks at the same time. And that's what we did. So I gave them all the design work. They actually copied the mask exactly. And we showed up in the next trade show in 92 with, with our known with skinny and they had their PowerX version of it. Oh, that um, was smart. So, so yeah, so it generates some, there's two companies doing it, not just these new guys on the block. Yeah, fair enough. And PowerX was like out East here, PowerX was car- carried by a lot of people. Oh, PowerX made a great product. Um, don't still know the principles from that company well, and they're great people. They did really good stuff. They did really good stuff. Oh, wow. So that was a good ripple then into the industry? Uh, we definitely changed the industry a lot, yes. I mean, being that you're a windsurfer, you know that about every mast out there now, they reduce diver maps, and that all happened without us doing the skinnies. And it, uh, we definitely changed the industry over time. Did you think that starting ICE there and would would lead to... That's such a big, that's Hall of Fame stuff, man. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that'll never happen because <laughs> who, who controls the uh, Windsurfing Hall of Fame? You can look that one up offside, <laughs> offline and see what that's all about. Oh, wow. No, that's pretty cool, though. And then, so just yeah. sticking on those masks for a second. Um, yeah. So thick, all the thickness and how it was built, all that stuff and bend curves, all that just came with how you wanted the sales how you found the sales would perform. So you would just then customize how you built that um, to just and, yeah, performance. Just, tweak, yeah. just, yeah, just tweak the layup and tweak where the material was, change it, bends, all that stuff. And, you know, back uh, back in the day, there was flex top and costly curve mass. That was it. And then a bunch of sale makers started going out with what they wanted their, you know, their own stuff to be. Um, Dave Ezzy was probably the first one who really did that. And so then, you know, so then we worked with Dave and made Master Dave. Then we worked with, uh, you know, Jason made Master Koya and on you know, So we made custom bench to those guys what they wanted. And we still do that to this day. We saw the sale companies out there, sale makers, we make custom bends for them. That's what they want. We're making for them. It, you know, we just tweak our tweak our design and dial in the bend and go. And it's actually pretty cut and dry now. It's pretty easy for us. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt after all that time. That's it's, pretty cool. It's it's all just an Excel spreadsheet. You just plug and play. It just gives you the answers. Yeah. So are you making masks then for a bunch of the major uh, windsurfing manufacturers? And we're going to get into winging in a second, but... For a couple. For a couple? It's okay. just a couple we do, do these days, yeah. Um, like everything, everybody starts going offshore to get things cheaper. Okay. And so that's what we've... There's several brands out there we've supported in the past have gone offshore and they're getting them made cheaper out of Asia. And and of course, those masks aren't as durable as what we do, and but that's okay. Because you know, we discussed earlier, our mat—that's one of the biggest mistakes we made with our mats. They're too durable. They—they they last for way too long. And you know, when you have people coming up to you on the beach asking if they should replace a twenty-year-old mast, you're like, uh, "Yeah, dude, replace the mast." Like, why is it going to break? It's like, no, I want to buy a six-pack <laughs> next month. Come on, buy another mast. Come on, man. Keep us in business here. <laughs> Prices have gone up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Six packs, you know, eight bucks these days. Come on. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and especially if you're, well, I guess you're based out of the states. For us Canadians, it's even more with the uh, with the exchange rate and whatnot. But yeah, that hurts. <laughs> it does hurt. Okay, so you when did um, when did you start venturing into making masts for uh, for winging? Winging, um, I think for probably four to five years now. Yeah, I can't even remember. It's been a while. Um, I, I lived in the gorge for, from 1989 onward. Um, you've been to the gorge. It's one of the most spectacular places you'll find in the world in the summers. The winters are brutal and can be very brutal. And so, um, my wife retired about nine, 10 years ago. And after a couple years, she's like, I'm not staying here anymore in the winters. This sucks. Uh, she was a pilot, so she was always offline. So she never noticed how bad the winters were. Oh yeah. And, um, so we, we've been coming to Maui a lot. We've been coming to Maui for several weeks a year for, since 1990. And so we decided what the hell we're going to move to Maui in the winter. So we made the move here in the winters. Um, Ken Winter is a good friend of mine. I've been friends with him for 30 plus years. And he was way into the wing thing, obviously still not way into the wing thing. And so he kept bugging me that I should try winging. I kept telling him I was still a windsurfer. <laughs> and uh, finally, when there was no way but wind, I was just bored to death because I mentioned I don't like to mow the lawn. Yeah. I finally 
got some gear from Ken and started waiting. And that was probably about four years ago. Yeah. And kind of figured out the whole waiting thing. And then I picked up some gear from a company, a woman remained unnamed. And, uh, first thing I noticed was how bad the mask was. Uh, the mask was just a noodle. The foil wanted to go wherever it wanted to go. Um, I'm trying to learn how to tack and jive and go to attack or jive and the thing just hesitates and then pops. I'm like, this is stupid. And so that's why I kind of decided, okay, I'm just going to make a mask. I did some research and everything out there was pretty badly done. Uh, the attitude at that point in the industry was the mask doesn't matter. Only the foil matters. Actually, I also heard that some people were saying that the whip was on purpose that it was supposed to help you power up into corners <laughs> but yep i heard that one also yeah i'm like yeah but i don't i don't like the fact it's unpredictable and i'm doing a bottom turn i don't know when it's gonna hook up and if it's gonna hook up yeah no exactly i don't want to get munched nope yeah and uh so that's kind of how it started um we actually uh, initially we tried to work with a couple of the oems we actually did oem masks well we did masks for them as, for demo purposes and they liked them a lot, but uh, never kind of came to the table because we manufacture in the U.S. We're always manufacturing in the U.S. We're not going to send any offshore. That's just not my game. And um, they didn't want to pay the money for it. They want to buy, you know, they can buy something for one through the price out of Asia. And they want to make sure they got made the mar- margins on it. So that kind of, we went down that path for about a year plus until we finally just said heck with it and came off no limits. Okay. And did ourselves, and uh, so pretty good reviews on those things so far. The V two is doing very well. Very well. Uh, v one was a good mask, solid mask. Um, we had some issues early on with some adhesive, which was that's a whole other story. I can't get into too much, but a major company that builds rockets kind of freaked out when we found out what we found out about an adhesive that we thought was all safe, <laughs> but uh, didn't like solid environment. Okay, and uh, so, so we had some issues there, and we had. But, you know, we took care of everybody. We made sure that they were at new mass. Uh, made sure anybody lost their foil, we replaced their foil, we took care of people. Okay. And, you know, that's... Uh, coming from the windsurfing side, we know everything's our reputation. We want to make the best gear we can. And if some, you know, stuff breaks, people are always going to break things. It's how you take care of people when they break things. Yeah, that's true, actually, because um, one of the guys that I know that owns a store on Vancouver Island there, he'll he'll just come out and say oh yeah their warranty program is amazing or their reputation is yep. this and then so they'll and every all the stores do this they'll just gently steer you because they know they've been dealing with every manufacturer and every brand and they're like yep. what happens if something happens and you're like oh okay sure i'll, I'll go this route um yeah so what you're saying matters yeah yeah you can you can pay once or you can pay a lot of times you know that's true and uh you know, but um, but yeah, the mast is all the mast have done well. They're light, they're stiff. Um, my biggest concern with V one when I did, when we did that design was getting stiffness out, and especially the torsional stiffness because I hate it when the foil is just doing its own thing. That didn't work for me. I wanted to make sure I was in control of where it was going, not it in control of me. Um, I'm old enough now; I don't like getting munched by waves. Ah, I don't think any of us do. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. In my younger years, it didn't bother me yeah. as much. Now it hurts a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that was a big part of that. Um, and our V1 mast, it was light. 
Um, Taurus made the stiffest thing out there. Bending stiffness was good and not as, not as stiff as a access aluminum or something, which we got feedback from some of the surf guys that, hey, it would be nice to have a little bit stiffer. But uh, as we went into V2, that was a big part of the focus is making sure we addressed the areas we needed to address for the design. Okay. So one thing I read, obviously, and I'm just learning more about this, even though I'm on the show, I'm still, I still look at myself as a bit of a novice, but so there was obviously flex and then rotational flex and then ventilating as yep. well. Ventilation is the biggest one in my opinion. Okay. That is the single most important thing I've masked And, um, our V1 mast, if the surface finish wasn't right on the money, or if it got some oil on it, like you put on sunscreen and you grabbed your mast, that would cause some ventilation issues with it. And ventilation is just no fun. And so that was, a, that was my number one focus with V2 design was eliminating ventilation as much as possible. So what is that for people that don't know? Um, ventilation is basically, you know, as you're going through the waves, you're hitting chop and dipping side. So you're getting little pockets of air inside of the mast. No matter what you do, you're getting these little pockets. And when a mass ventilates, it actually sucks that air right down the mass to the foil. And then it just drops out from under you like it didn't exist. While the foil is under the water. And, um, yeah. Oh. So, so basically air gets sucked down the mass to the foil. Oh. And if the mass can reattach flow rapidly, that won't happen. If the mass cannot reattach its flow once it separates, then it gets sucked down. And it's a problem that, you know, a lot of brands have or have had, um, and there's ways around it. There's ways to fix it. And there's some brands out there that try things like putting fences on it so it can't suck down. And that's kind of funny to me because as soon as you take and heal your mass over at all, you now have another lifting body you're dealing with, which isn't controlled. And I have other new issues and, you know, so people have tried different things and tried different tapers to stop it. And But it can be it can be designed out hydrodynamically. It just takes a lot of work. But yeah, so, so if, so if you're falling along and all of a sudden your whole fall just drops out from under you for no good reason, you don't know why, probably a validation. So that's a mast issue. Yeah, but usually it's a mast issue. <laughs> it ha- it, it's also something that happens, you know, if you're bre- breaching the tip of your foil, and some masts will breach a tip and be behave, and other, there's other, or some foils that you can breach the tips and they don't notice, other foils you breach the tip and already goes to hell. That's actually a foil ventilation then, sucking air down the foil. But some don't have an issue with that. So you can breach tips all day long and, you know, look like a rock star and really most of the gear and just having the guts to go for it on that case. So. Yeah, no, my V1, my V1 uh, does not do that. But I think the next foil I buy will probably perform a little yeah. bit differently. But like I said, on the, v, on the V1, the big thing we had was just surface finish. And if the surface finish wasn't right, they were validating. That's why we kept telling people just wet sand with some 400 or 600 grit and the problem goes away. And that, that fixed on a V1 all the time, but you don't want to have to have your customers wet sand in their masks, you know. Mm. So. Actually, I had George on from um, Delta Hydrofoil out in, the, in in New York State yeah. there. Yeah. He mentioned the same thing about yeah. foils, that um, a lot of the time you should be doing the same thing because the finish throws off and there's some properties and stuff that happen. Very much so. And the light wet sander also gives you like a little micro trip layer at the surface and actually keeps the um, water attached better to the foil. Huh. So, huh. Okay. Good to know. You really want your stuff to work really great, you know, wet sander with 600 grit and 
wet sanded opposite the direction of flow, so along the length of things, because you want these little micro trips. Got a little bit of on the surface, and then it just keeps out the animation. And that will do what for somebody? <laughs> you see my blank stare. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it, it, it will make things work just a touch better. All right, fair enough. Um, for somebody like myself, I don't know this. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you want to be the fastest guy on the course and the ultimate in performance, that's how you get there. Okay. Um, you know, guys like, you know, like came to wild racing, they're constantly just really tuning their gear to make sure it's absolutely perfect that way. But that's not me. I just, I'm actually embarrassed how bad my foils look from how many times they hit Reese. So my foils look horrible. They're just hammered all the time. I never do anything about them. I just ride them that way. I don't care. Could you tell us what you're riding? Uh, currently, most of is Kuma 980. Okay. I just really like that foil. It's a really surfy foil and with some tweaks to the angles and uh, cane tail I'm riding. It's a really fun foil. It's still fast and glidey. It, uh, you can give her the funky stall characteristic that they had straight out of the box. And it's a really fun foil. And you're riding the V2? In fact, if anybody out there hasn't... Yeah. yeah. Okay. But if anybody has a uh, Takuma 9A they want to get rid of, I'm happy to buy it from them. I'm happy to have spares. I love that foil. Oh, awesome. And it's funny because there's a whole... There's a big crowd of Takuma 9A that you see in the water around here. Some people that I've loaned my gear to, and they're like, oh my god. They get... But yeah, that's what I'm currently riding. Okay. But... uh also, I've really I've been playing with the um, F1 skates. And those are pretty sweet. I like those a lot too. But I'm a wave guy. I'm not. I'm not worried about the ultimate glide. I'm not a high aspect guy. I'm, I'm strictly about chasing waves and getting turns. So, oh, that's fair. There's so many different disciplines here, you know. Yeah. No. Fair enough. And if we're on the winging train, um, can we talk about how a winging mast is made? Oh, we just saw some string glue into a mold, and it comes out perfect. <laughs> um. Uh, uh, what we're what what we are doing, what I see is doing is we're actually um, everything we do is with what's called pre-preg, so the resin is pre-impregnated into the fibers. Um, we don't do any wet resin work of any sort. Uh, I swore that stuff off when I started the company. I've done lots of years of wet resin, and it's not the way to make a part. It's just hard to control. So we strictly use pre-preg. Um, we actually are making a hollow section. So we have an inner inner tool and an and outer tool. We're doing that because if you have something in bending, a beam in bending, the center of the beam does nothing for bending. It's just it's a neutral axis. So having material on the center of anything in bending is just wasted material, wasted wasted weight. And in our case, since we're building everything in the US, it's wasted money, you know, having people lay that stuff up. And so we actually have an inner tool and an outer tool. We lay the material around the inner tool, it goes into an outer tool, all compression molded together, and then that pops out of the mold, we pull the inner pieces out, and left for the hollow mass section. Um, with pre-preg, we need heat and pressure to cure it. That's the problem with the material. And so, we cure all the stuff in big presses, big high touch presses, put about 150 PSI in the laminate on the material itself during the cure, and cure them at about 280 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. And, uh, so then that, that pops out the raw mast. Um, from there, it's sanded, finished. You know, graphics are applied, paint's applied. Um, we are using a aluminum base plate. We're doing that on purpose. Um, 
I'm not, I'm a really bad pro in Florida. I'm trying to become better. My goal for this winter is actually become a decent, to, well, to go from really bad to just bad pro in Florida, I guess, is my goal. Good um, first step. I mean, decent's not even, I'm trying to get there. But um, in that, and also in, you know, downwind, winding with subboards and all that, the drag at takeoff is a pretty big deal. And so the bigger your base plate is, the bigger your area is that base plate, that's a lot of drag in the water. You know, people talk about foiling when you're up foiling, that all goes away. But on your getting started, it matters. And so we've actually gone to a metallic base plate on purpose because we can make it thinner and tighter than we could a composite base plate. Um, we are playing with some composite base plate design, trying to see if we can come up with a design that works so we can keep streamlined. But right now, we went with metal on purpose there for a reason. Um, so that's bond to the bottom of the mast. Uh, we actually foam fill our mast, the hollow cavity. We only do that because of noise. Uh, the first first mast we put in the water had some, you know, we all, we've all experienced you know, noise from the foil and some vibration from the foil. Mm-hmm. And a hollow mast, it was just an amplifier. It was so loud. Um, I remember riding around in the hatchery on one of the first masts and people just staring like, what the hell is wrong with you? The thing was just screaming, so noisy. Huh. And so we foam fill those and then the we made masks that fit with about any brand. So whatever brand it is that you're buying the mask for, we will bond that and fitting that in the mast. And that's how it ships out the door. Uh, we don't have a, a universal compatible mast. Uh, I wish we could, but we cannot come up with a solution that meets our durability requirements without making the mast a lot thicker. Mm, okay. Um, to, to make that work, we have to go to M8 bolts and to make M8 bolts work, you need to be about right around 18 millimeters thick for the mast. That's just too much drag for us. We're not going to do that. We'd rather compromise in another direction. That's not a compromise we'll make. Okay. Fair enough. So going back to the, um, to the, the attachment for the board attachment and stuff, making that out of metal yep. instead of carbon. Um, some brands are obviously everybody's doing every which way, but you're thinking this is the, the better route right now. For us right now, it is. Okay. Um, as I said, we're working, we, we're, we've been doing some work on a carbon base attachment, but we're still not happy with where we have to go thickness and size wise to make it structural. Mm-hmm. Okay. And metal is a pretty straightforward approach to that. Fair enough. Cause you would lose stiffness and then drag. Would it be amplified? Uh, if we go small enough to keep the drag down, we're going to do stiffness. If we make it large enough to get the stiffness where we want to be, the drag goes up. Okay. And like I said, again, a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't matter. It's out of the water, but most of us people say that don't prone foil, don't prone foil or stuff downwind. They did their feel of the difference really quick. Mm, okay. Fair enough. I mean, you know, if we look at the whole trend in, you know, downwind sup boards are getting longer and narrower all the time to reduce friction for takeoff. So if you hang something that's really draggy right there on the bottom of the board in the back, that's not a good idea. Yeah, no, especially if you're you're looking to shave anywhere you can possibly shave. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Huh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. So then, and then you make all the custom mass adapters so that you can hook that up to most most major brands, you were saying? Most major brands. I, I don't know if we do everything because it seems like there's a new brand coming out every week. But uh, basically all major brands we have adapters for. And even and we even do all that work in house. We don't even send that out. We want to control that. So if we screw it up, it's our fault. And if we need to make an adjustment, we can make it quickly. Um, again, that'd be a place we could save money. You see, having 
those pieces all made in Asia. But again, we'd, we'd rather do it all ourselves, keep it in house and do it right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. And continue the made in USA is nice. At least then, you know, and it's a dependable product. So we're not going to get worried as much because stuff is slowly create like with new composite wings they're rising in prices so i think what's going to happen is people are just going to yeah. get used to spending a bit more and um and they're going to yeah. want i like something made close to home that i know i can i can depend on that's important to me and also to us it's just keeping jobs in the u.s you know it's important to keep people employed that's a you know, big reason for all this is to give people jobs and give them a way of having a family wage and you can buy a house and have a family and feel good about life you know and do good things that people enjoy yeah that's fair big part of it yeah absolutely is there anything you can share about what's coming in the future that you think um changes in how things are going or how building might change Uh, i'm hoping i'm hoping i'm hoping to get more comfortable in big waves okay Uh, that's good once you get to where about head head and a half double head it gets kind of sketchy um that probably doesn't affect the rest of you people (laughs) yeah no (laughs) Those times where you kind of look back, like, I don't even want to look back. I just got to keep, <laughs> keep my head together and not blow up right now. Huh? Oh, shit. I was on the Great Lakes, what, two weeks ago? And we had two days where it blew. It blew through the night. So it was about, it must have been. I can get some waves, yeah. Yeah, it was like six, seven feet, right? So it was pretty decent overhead. And it was my first time in bigger stuff. Like, normally I'm on lakes and smaller things or whatever so i'm chumming around some of the best wind around but not the biggest swell so here i am on this stuff and girlfriend was out there with me and i'm like hey uh did i uh did i did i turn should no no you just straight line that thing <laughs> and here i am breathing okay you got this man you got this and just focus and i look back and i was like I thought I was turning but i said from from this amateur level to pro level where they're turning like on critical sections of the wave yeah. and, and like some of this new stuff or this crazy barreling and I was like okay yeah oh, you yeah. guys are where you're at you put in a lot of time and dedication to get there it's impressive seeing what's going on out there it's really impressive and, and it's it's essentially we go out on a, a wave day and just the level of people you see out there people there are just like some you know, straight lining around the way just trying not to die and then other people on the, you know, the next next to us way behind it way bigger way just right in the pocket right in the pit just ripping it and yeah i think that's awesome that's what i'm hoping we get to have you seen a obviously <laughs> pushing more critical all the time you've obviously seen a big change in maui right with uh from 90 percent windsurfing oh, to what 90 percent winging now well i mean i'd say it's 90 percent kiting okay to probably more like probably up 30 to 40 percent wingers now Wow, um, big jump. Ka'a, which used to be strictly kite beach, you will see maybe if there's one or two kites on that beach any given day, it's shocking there. Um, and uh, still, there's still a lot of windsurfers. I think the median age of the windsurfer over here is probably about seven, eight. Still, though, that's impressive. It's impressive. It's impressive to see these people out there. Say, I mean, I was out three or, probably about three weeks ago on a pretty big day at Uppers. I mean, it was overhead high at uppers and there's a couple of windsurfers out there and one of the gals out there windsurf I talked on the beach later she was 68 and she's out there getting after it I mean in the critical side over like that's awesome I mean I'm 60 so I'm not too far behind her I'm still pretty damn stoked to see that like, I got a few more years maybe oh yeah so, for sure you will but yeah 
But the progression's been interesting over here. I think the progression I've seen in the gorge has been more interesting to me, though. Because um, being over here, it, you know, things are, are progressing very quickly over in Maui. And I uh, went back to the gorge. I'm like, oh, my God, no one back here knows what it, has a clue what they're doing. And, you know, if, you know I was... I got the hatchery and there'd be like two or three people wing on the hatchery and talk to Ed and Winsor Vatry and those guys there didn't give me a hard time about it, but I actually felt like I knew what I was doing. I wasn't had no clue what I was doing winging, but then the next summer I go back and like people got a lot better. And then this summer I'm back there and people are just ripping in the gorge now. So the progression I saw in the gorge was very accelerated compared to what I saw in Maui. But it, it took it took a few years here for people to really start pushing things other ways hmm. but, yeah fair enough but at this but and yeah and as you know i mean the whole down downwinding thing is just huge and i think that's actually one of the bigger progressions i've seen the gorgeous how many people are downwinding there now it's just a perfect easy place downwind oh yeah it's phenomenal yeah. for that where whereas you know, here in maui you're you're, you're a model and a half two miles offshore doing that so so if you go south it's not good yes we're in the gorge you you're never more than half a mile from shore anywhere, so yeah, that's true. It's not as bad of a swim, even if you get drifted down somewhere or up or whatever. It's not a not a huge deal. No, you can always climb up the rocks somewhere and you'll get out and hitch a ride of it somewhere. Somewhere. So, focusing on R and D, obviously you've gotten the chance to see a lot over your pretty cool career doing this stuff. Um, do you have who's given you good feedback or R and D for your waiting mass? There's been a lot of people involved, especially the V2. Um, the V2 was actually on the water for the first time in June of 22. And we didn't release it to the public until June of 23. Um, that kind of goes back to more our windsurfing roots that we would test something to death before we released it. Uh, that was not the case with the V1 because people just needed them so quickly. We didn't. That was a little bit earlier, quick release, but yeah, V1 t- or V2, tons of testing. Uh, Kane DeWall has been fantastic. A lot of great data from Kane. Um, probably one of the most sensitive people there is to changes to any piece of gear. Mm-hmm. He's, and he is constantly testing. I mean, you see him at the beach or make two or three rounds, come in, tweak something, two or three rounds. You never see him go out for a long session. He's always just constantly tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Oh, wow. And always trying new gear. So, He's been, he was super helpful in that development. Uh, Mr. Bennett, fantastic feedback from him. Um, we got some of the early mass to him. He really liked how they felt. Wanted a little more stiffness, so we were a lot of stiffness to with him. A um, couple of gentlemen in the gorge I can't name because they ride for their fully sponsored team riders for other people. Okay. <laughs> but we have a couple of gorge guys that got us a lot of good feedback early on also. Uh, those were a lot of early dawn patrol sessions, so people didn't see what they're on, and you were the point of disguising masks for them if we needed to. Uh, we did that as well here in the gorge, or here in Maui, with a couple people. Um, and uh, who else? Um, uh, Casey Hauser early on, he, he did some good things for us. Um, hopefully, Casey's doing well and yeah, you know, he's recovering from some uh, ugly shit. Mm-hmm. But uh, he definitely got some good feedback to us on V two as well really helped us out there so awesome and then from there it just um i pretty much would be at the beach with v2s any day there's any wind and if i could get somebody to test it and take it out i would okay and um 
I would frequently actually, especially if you got later in the process, really down in stiffness, I was looking for people that were more beginner to intermediate wingers to do some testing to make sure we weren't going too far. I mean, too stiff and too tweaky. Um, from my history in windsurfing, I know that windsurfing kind of hurt itself because it made it, they made the sport too technical and yep. not obtainable to the general public. I want to be very careful with that was me too, that we didn't make those masks so high a performance that somebody that's just learning could, couldn't ride it, enjoy it, you know? What would that relate to, um, to performance to? If a mask gets too stiff, it can just be too reactive. Okay. It won't dampen any movement of anything. And, uh, which if you know how to wing at first, you got, it, I was like, oh, kind of a little sketchy, pitchy, this and that. But after about two runs, you're like, oh man, I really like this. But some of it's a you know beginner to early intermediate, they're not gonna you're not gonna be able you know get on top of that pitchiness and that sensitivity that quickly. And so that was a concern we had, and we actually built a couple masks that were over the over the line. They were so stiff that they were hard to control because it was. Any little turbulence in the water would just knock things all over the place. Oh yeah, I didn't forget about uh, turbulence too. Yeah. And there's and I think there's a lot more of that over here in Maui than a lot of places. Because you know, we have a lot of you know, a lot of things on the on the ocean floor all over the place and water's moving up and down sideways. It's not just nice calm water flow in one direction. There's a lot of vertical movement to the water over here frequently. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, actually a lot of a lot of testing we did at Uppers was because of that. Uh, uppers in Naha has just tons of big boil rocks, all this stuff that, I mean, you can see a wave go through and just see this big bubble boil on the surface from where this wave's going over it. There's a lot of vertical movement there. And it, if things are too stiff, it can be kind of a handful. You're definitely standing on the beach ball that's out of control at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can just watch. Uh, yeah, watch the 75 year old yeah. windsurfers rip it up, I guess. Eh? Yeah. Which is all good. Absolutely. Okay, so R&D was then, those are some pretty fantastic riders that are that are helping out with that. So they would come up, ride something, let you know. How does it go from there to development? Because obviously you're not making a series, you, you know, a series of custom masks, right? How, how does that process work? Oh, we did a lot of custom you, masks, yeah. yeah. Okay. We, we, we would make something, tweak it. You know, again, being that we do our own manufacturing. Oh, yeah. If we want to change something, it's like, you know, you, you give us feedback feedback at nine in the morning about something you didn't like, three in the afternoon, we're sending you on the next iteration to test. Yeah. So there's a lot of tweaking. We're changing lifts, we're changing materials, change angles, this and that. We're constantly changing things and dialing things in. And uh, that was a big part of it. Then, you know, there's, we probably went through, I don't know, 25, 30 iterations of V2 before we probably set on the release. And what's your, uh, what's your release cycle? Cause I know I was talking to Keith of up in Maui there and they were on like a two or even three or but two, three year cycle on some stuff. Um, what do you guys do? Uh, we don't, okay. we kind of do, we, we kind of look at what we have and if we need to improve it or not. Um, yeah, I guess that's what he said too. We're yeah. constantly make we're constantly making tweaks. Okay. Um, you know, we're constantly improving things slightly. Um, since V2 released, we've actually gone to using four jeans for our base fittings instead of just machining them out of big blocks of aluminum. 
And that's something we've been working on for a while. It just took a long time to get a company to make the forging store quality. When you forge metal, you actually push it and flow it. So by doing that, we're able to get actually even more strength up through the paper of the forging, mm-hmm. through the, the base strength. Mm-hmm. And so it's just one of those things we've been wanting to do for a long time. But we finally got a company that's making good forging for us and getting our requirements. So the, uh, I think the current shipping V2s have now a forge base setting instead of a machine purely machine one. Oh, cool so there's so we're constantly making little tweaks little things are changing all the time so you just as you but, make them then the next shipment will go at slightly different yep oh go out slightly you know just, if we make little improvements we do uh, you know there's not any major block changes okay um and that's true that's true in the entire water sport industry um you know it's you know just figure keith and you know i mean every batch and boards they get in are slightly tweaked slightly improved they're constantly getting better because <laughs> you, you know you're not gonna just sit there but but uh, you know, we're not a product company. We're more of an engineering company. So as we can make improvements, then we're break, we're break something new to the table. If we can't make something better, we're not just going to come out with something different to come out with something different. That's why the Northern Skitties are still the same. They've been for a long time. Look at that beauty. Yeah. had so yeah. much fun with that thing. But um, can you explain to me, because I have no idea, uh, why would they be like a wider at the top and it taper down at the bottom where it goes to attach to the foil? Is there a reasoning behind? Obviously there's reasoning, but Luke doesn't know. I, um, different people have different theories on that one. Um, if you, you can do some taper that way, if you taper from fat at the top, down to the bottom, less drag underwater from a thinner profile and then more stiffness up top. So you can get overall, your overall mass is stiffer. Um, you still have, you know, more bending down low than up high, but it gives you a little bit of stiffness. Uh, there's some people that think there's some hydrodynamic benefits of the tapering mast. Um, that one, I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced on that. Uh, the thousands of pages of testing that the Navy has done have not shown that. That's for sure. Um, and if you look at America's Cup, they're not tapering their, their struts either. So there's a lot of, I, I think that's, just or congesture. Um, the reason we actually have some taper in our mast is mostly to make it easier to manufacture, to be honest. Yeah. Um, our, our V1 was dead straight. As I mentioned, we have an inner tool and an outer tool. Getting that inner tool out was a pain in the butt because it was dead straight. By putting just a little bit of taper in, then once it moves, we can pop it off easier. So, so part of our, our taper in the mast is actually to actually help us manufacturability as well. Um, the bigger thing for us was we wanted to keep it thin as much as possible. Um, a lot of the industry talks about how, you know, you should be right in the top third of the mast or top quarter of the mast, and that's where they worry about the hydrodynamics of it and all that stuff. Uh, I'm not that good. I try to ride in the top of my mast, but I'm not that good. Yeah. And I'm frequently bearing my mast to my board even at times. And, you know, I'd, I'd want something that's not draggy as soon as I drop in the water. It's going to, you know, slow down a bit, but I don't want to be noticeable. And I mean, even just going out, you know, when you're going out through wave sets, you're going from very little mass in the water to the whole mass of the water to try to punch over top of a wave, you know, unless you're crazy and you're going to jump all that stuff. But since I have a bad, uh, titanium knee, I'm not allowed to jump, so can't do that. <laughs> so, um, so to me, a big part of it is also keep the whole mass as thin as possible, not have a big blob up top that's slow and draggy. And then just thin down bottom. It also goes back to the prone surfers and the sub guys just on takeoffs. The more dragging the water, the harder it is to get 
you know, get up to speed and get out of the water. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So. And are there, can we talk a little bit about the different kinds of carbon that you can use? Like I've heard some brands are making foils with ultra high modulus. Is that uh, readily available or is that? Okay, um, okay we're, we're, we're doing a carbon, uh, carbon lesson for the geek for the room oh, here. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's many, there's many different strengths and stiffnesses of carbon fiber. Um, what's known as standard modulus carbon fiber is about a 33 million PSI modulus fiber, 33 MSI fiber. That's kind of your standard modulus carbon. Um, some people would call that high, some people people call that high modulus because it is a very high modulus compared to something like fiberglass, which is eight or 10. So some people are even called a standard modulus carbon fiber high modulus. So a lot of it's marketing crap. You got to be careful of it. Um, but from there, the in the aerospace industry, you have standard modulus, which is 33 MSI, what's called intermediate modulus fibers, which are usually about 40, 42, maybe 44 MSI. Uh, you get into high modulus fibers, which are in, in aerospace or 50 to 55 MSI. And then you get into what's known as pitch materials, which are ultra high modulus, which can be up to 110, 112 PSI. So very, very high. Um, so the industry itself, I know a lot of people that are saying they use high modulus fiber now, and I and very few are saying what that actually means. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a, I don't know what I buy there. Um, the no limits mass, we're doing those. Um, most of that mass is made of a high modulus of 52 MSI fiber. Um, we are using some 110 MSI fiber in there as well. Um, so, but we, both of those materials are material we use consistently all the time for aerospace parts. So for us, it's material we have, we have it in stock, it's easy. And we frequently actually are able to cut, cut patterns for mass out of waste material from military hardware. Mm-hmm. Or you know, we're actually used in, using material that would have been scrapped otherwise, which is nice. So some green resource to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of, the, you know, the whole story here. Um, I do know one brand that was claiming they were using M55J fiber, which is about a 68 or 70 MSI fiber. And I know that's actually absolute BS because we do a lot of work with M55J for satellite programs. And it's a heavily controlled fiber. Um, if, it, if the program we're working on does not have a, a government rating tied to it we can't get the fiber we can't even buy it it's only sold for military programs and high high level programs so somebody's saying they're making mass out of that that's if they are they're probably going to go into federal pen soon because i don't know how they're getting in the jail so because it's a resource but, that they um, can't overuse i'm assuming is that why or exactly okay it's a limited resource okay there's very low that there's very low that fiber actually made and limited resource that so must go to the right programs mm, okay but um, but I am aware of one of the companies using some 110 MSI fiber as well. And there are some, there's one, some 110 MSI fibers that are affordable out there. And by affordable, I mean they're $100 a pound. So they're not cheap, that's for sure. Okay. So. And for those of us who don't know how that applies to making a good mast. <laughs> um, the, the stiffer the fiber, the stiffer the mast. Okay. 
you know, pretty straightforward there. Um, but the issue also with the really stiff fibers is they usually they're pretty weak. Their strength goes way down. So as their stiffness goes up, their strength reduces. And so you have to balance your strength with your stiffness. Okay. Um, if you're making a solid mast, a solid laminate like most masts are out there, you don't really worry about strength because you're basically building a you know baseball bat of a mast. So you can use weaker fibers and get by with it and use higher modulus fibers that way. Um, in our case, we're making a very light mass, very thin-walled. We have to really balance our strength and our stiffness. That's why we use a combination of uh, high modulus, pretty high strength fiber, and some very some ultra-high modulus fiber that's really weak, actually. But it's stiff. So we use it very selectively where we need the stiffness. Because you guys were, were just showcasing that one as, a, as one of the lighter mass out there. So strength and light. I think we're by far the lightest, actually. Oh, good for you. We that wasn't really we were we wanted to make a light mask because the way the mask does matter. Again, this is something people will say it doesn't matter, but it's all mass you have to accelerate. It's all mass you have to change direction with. So the lighter it is, the easier it is to work. And you know, again, windsurfing windsurfing spends a massive amount of effort making really light boards because they sail better. And same thing with the floor. I mean, I'm riding a sub 10 pound floor board right now. It's just spectacular. It's a little bit larger board, but it's so light. It's just so whippy. It feels like I'm riding a 35 liter board, even though it's about 75 near board. Can you uh, mention so, to us what that is? Uh, George Foster. Okay. He's a custom builder here in Maui. Oh, nice. And, and, and I've worked with George on construction some and Throwing some new, we've thrown some new ideas around and making some really light boards, and they they work well. And so, yeah, so to me, you know, keeping mass out of stuff is really important. I mean, heck, my my whole up, my full up gear, my board, wing fall, mass, all that stuff weighs less than some, you know, a lot of those boards. Forgot that. Yeah, let alone with their fall on it. Oh yeah, and it, and the lighter it is, the faster it gets on fall and jumps out of the water and goes. It's true. The easier it is to yep. when you do your walk of shame. Yes, easier. I did a big one of those just two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> new personal best. <laughs> oh shit! That was a big walk. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you wear like a an, an Apple Watch or any kind of GPS watches and stuff when you're out in Maui? Or I've seen that increase lately. No, I'm not smart. No. I'm not smart enough to Fair do this. I want to get one. I don't want people to know how far I had to walk on. <laughs> Hey, honey, it wasn't a long walk today, but it was really fun. Oh, it wasn't a fun one. That was that. That was a bad day. It oh, just, shit. That was a day that was a very light. Okay. One of those days, it's like, if I fall off fall, I'm probably screwed. Oh, shit. Yeah, I guess that uh, that happens there. It happens here a lot, especially when you're chasing waves, and the waves are good, and you stay out there longer than you should as the wind starts to shut down just because the waves are good, and you're like, okay, if I fall off fall, I'm screwed, but it's too good. I can't... I, Okay, go it. Just don't fall. So what you're telling me is that just feeling of getting the next one never goes away. Just one more. <laughs> just one more all the time. Yep. Nice. Uh, just one more. Nice. Um, I had something, but I blanked. What was I going to say? Actually, it's funny with the just one more statement. Yep. That was literally the last wave I was catching. I saw long. Oh, yeah? Oh, shit. I was, you know, I was riding with, I was riding and somebody yelled at me and I looked back like, oh, what was that? And I looked back and I was like, oh, hey. And just, I looked back and I turned around and I fall out. So I'm like, oh God, no. Yeah. 
that then turned into an hour of paddling and a long walk back. Oh yeah. Was that, you got dragged under for that? Did you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got lost. I got a few beatings on that day. Yep. Like I came at a pier one. So yeah, it was a long walk. Fair enough. Have you tried downwinding? Downwind suck? Yeah. Not yet. Okay. That was, I was, I'd set a goal for myself. That's what I was going to work on the summer in the gorge. And then we had some, but the wildfires in the gorge that changed my priorities this summer. So I have not tried that yet. I am looking forward to trying to see if I can learn that skill and embarrass myself for a while. Well, maybe because uh, um, I was talking to Alex there and he said he'd give me a tour of the of the factory. So maybe, Let's, yeah, I'll do that next year. I'd love to to try that too because I got to demo your foil with an F or sorry, mast with an F1 foil at AWSI this year. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, because I think it was there was three or four, a couple of pros that I recognized there. And it was like shoulder high swell that day at event site. And um, yep. with that current, you just keep riding and riding and riding. Oh, you can go. Oh. Yeah. Unreal. I, I see why the people that do it are really addicted to it. I mean, here on Maui, it's crazy. The dates that, you know, we go for wing down winders. I feel like I'm the only winger out there anymore. It's just a constant stream of guys on stuff where it's just sliding behind you. So they're, where are they starting? Like Hokipa, kind of that area and just starting down? No, mostly start Maliko, Maliko, which is just past Hokipa. Mostly okay. Maliko Gulch. Okay. And they go from there down to either Kanaha or all the way down the harbor. Okay. But they have to go out, how far you were saying? Like a kilometer? They, most of the guys are doing that stuff for riding about a mile and a half, two miles out. Oh, like two miles. So what is that? Like 4k. Whoa. Yeah. They're out there ways. Okay. That's where the, that's where the, that's where the big sits and swells are. That's where those guys go out to. Okay. Now what, what, what does big mean in Maui, Hawaii terms? Well, there's some days out there that you're definitely, you know, head and head and a half swells rolling. Mm. Okay. So, you know three to four meter swells you're rolling on it's i mean i've dropped down on weight i'm just scared to death it's like oh my god don't blow up you're just because it's such they're big long ramps you're just going a million miles an hour it's not like a big wave where you're working the face of it it's just like hang on for dear life here we go <laughs> yeah that's when you gotta deep breathe deeply using <laughs> <In> focus <laughs> Or crash and knock the window yourself and not breathe at yeah, all. Yeah, that's true. That happens too. That happens too. Well, for people who are looking to buy a foil and it's going to come with whatever mast comes with it, I guess, is there anything that you can say, anything that you can recommend that would uh, that would open the door to you getting a, a little more beer at $8 a beer now? You know... Um... I don't. I, I don't think there's a brand out there that's forcing you to buy their mask with their foil. At this point, I think they're selling everything separate. Um, it and there's there some brands out there. I'm not going to name brands who does good and bad, but there's some that make good masks, some that make not so good masks, and most people can find that out with a pretty quick Google search mm. and a little bit of time on some forums and. Uh, you know, it's, we're making masks for a lot of brands and we're doing them because, you know, people want higher performance and something lighter and stiffer. Um, there's also some compatibility things you can do with our masks. Um, 
Jim Stringfellow, uh, Stringy Parts, he makes a lot of adapters that work with our masks. So if you get one of our masks with like a Takuma 3 hole on it, you can then also buy adapters for Lift and F1 and Axis and on and on. So you can make our one mask work with multiple brands if you want to it's multiple brands. And so there's some options there as well. And I will say that the people I have the most respect for in this industry are the ones I see on the beach testing all the time. And those are the guys that I have a huge amount of respect because they're out there working, working, working. They're out there on the water themselves doing it. Um, you know, Alex with you know, GoFall. You see him at the beach constantly testing. Testing boards, foils, wings, everything. You know, those type of people, they're, they're putting the time in. They're working hard. And, you know, I have a huge amount of respect for that. And it's um, such an art, too. Eh? That, that's hard. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it, 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 it's, it's hard and everything acts differently. And, and then, you know, if, if you're not out there riding it yourself, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to really pay attention to your designs. So. Fair enough. And uh, there's a lot of different disciplines also. And that's another big part of this. And, and Alex is one of those guys. He does basically all the disciplines. Pretty cool. You see him out there, you know, in the way of subclonning, you see him out winging, you see him downwinding. You know, he's doing all the stuff. It's really cool. And you know, Dave Flom is another guy out there doing all the disciplines all the time, always testing. Have a huge amount of respect for those things. Yeah, that's a lot of time. They're, and... they're the ones driving things. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's our lives, and it's awesome. Yeah, I still have to spend most of my time designing satellites and rockets, so I don't get to play when I get a chance. But fair enough. I definitely try and put in the time of the water testing, and making sure I know what our gear is doing, and I ride a lot of other people's gear too. I ride a lot of other foils, a lot of other masks. I'm I'm one of those guys that somebody offers me their stuff on the beach or be in the water before they can think about whether they should <laughs> offer me their stuff on the beach. I'm like, yep, I'll try it. Heck yes. Yeah, and then bring that stuff. Yeah, just get, see what that ride's like, get your ideas from. Okay. Now, for different disciplines, are there different masks that will be made or that you do make custom for certain athletes that will perform better for their stuff? We are not going on that path yet. Okay. Um, you know, Different disciplines, you know, a shorter mass for prone, longer mass for, you know, maybe windsurf falling or winging or kiting, that type of thing, kite falling. Um, we did most of our R&D based on a stiff enough mass, a 93 centimeter lake that works well. Uh, we we're a little bit nervous about whether that would be too stiff at 72, but it still works fine at 72. Chat. Uh, yeah, we could make a slightly less stiff mat at 72. It still works fine, but do we need to do that to pull another, you know, 50 grams or 100 grams on the mast, probably not worth the effort. Mm. And so we haven't gone there yet. Um, I could see that happening in the future, though. As, as things get more and more specialized, I could see that happening. Okay. But we're trying to keep it, some of the sports still simple. Yeah. You know, like, you know, all boards have the same fin box. Let's keep something standard, okay? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, Steve, be nice. is there anything else you'd like to, to chat about? I certainly got to learn a little bit more about mass, which is pretty exciting. And Yeah, it's um, anything at all. I mean, we're, just, we're out there having fun, just trying to push the sport. So not much more to add from there. It's, uh, you know, we keep doing things. We keep innovating as we can. And been, it's fun being part of the sport right now because it's just growing so fast. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I... I Probably two times, two to three times a week, I see some brand new piece of gear I've never seen before at the beach. Yeah, it's really kind of cool. Oh yeah, you're at the Mecca. Is there anything you can 
pop out of the let us know what you've seen i was curious what's coming out of that place actually um i i, I just saw a, a, one of the new axis masks it's kind of a backwards airfoil and that i, fa- I thought was really cool um a good friend of mine is paul beaker and he's one of the lead hydrodynamicists for team oracle for america's cup okay and uh when i i've talked to him quite a bit about you know mass design all that stuff what we're doing they told me if we're going just a little bit faster or actually be better to use a triangle from what their research is we're not going fast enough for that yet so seeing that mass that uh axis has done it's kind of a reverse wedge type shape I'm like oh that's interesting so i'm looking forward to actually trying i'm hoping to get on that here this coming week okay i should try that out i'm hoping to try it yeah let me know i thought that was pretty cool that was pretty cool but that that is cool um some of the new some new falls i've seen are pretty interesting uh i don't think they're gonna be i don't think the public's gonna see in front of the year plus but just some of the where some of the falls are going has been pretty interesting um i wrote i wrote a little 750 about a week and a half ago that i swear it had more lifts than my 980 i could not believe i was riding that small before because of how much lift that and it's just really fast and really fun turning thing so it's constantly evolving yeah i guess so that must be pretty fun eh to be able to see all that and i'd just be happy if i get my hands on some hand wings because i'm kind of gear limited right now which is sad what are you riding hang wing wise um anything anybody gives me right now because i have none huh. okay <laughs> uh I lost a couple of the summer because of the fire. Um, and then uh, I kind of had a bad day at Uppers about a month ago, and my beloved 3.5 uh, F1 Strike version 1 became a 1.75. Oh, no. Completely tore it in half. Yeah. And yeah, so it's, and I've been trying to find a new Strike V1. I can't find those. Other I have one. I have a 4.2. Really? What's up? Yeah, I can sell. Awesome. We can talk. <laughs> All right, we'll talk in the gorgeous. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I'm just speaking kind of funny that way. But I, I have been testing some of the Armstrong stuff. The new Armstrong weights are fantastic, in my opinion. I was really impressed with those. Um, but again, I'm a wave guy, so all I'm worried about is something that just disappears in the wave well. It has good punch, to get me out when I fall between sets. Okay. So my discipline is a lot different than other people's disciplines. Do you yeah, like I a was, wing because the strike just sits there in the pocket? It doesn't the strike move too much. Just, yeah, just, boom. It just stays. Yeah. The okay. V3 is like, oh, and I don't like that. I want it to stay. I want it to disappear. Mm, okay. That's kind of my thing. Again, like I said, I'm chasing waves, so I'm very specific distance for what I'm doing. Yeah, and no, fair I'm, enough. I'm kind of happy to see F1 kind of coming out with stuff. They're starting to separate into different disciplines. I was happy when I saw F1 doing that. You know, first with their skate, their skate balls were actually guys that wanted to just were more surfy, and now with their new swing that came out, which is kind of more focused on the wave crowd. So, but I can't find a swing V three anywhere to even put my hands on. So, yeah, they make good stuff for learning. I think they're one of the top. I love those wings. That's what I learned on. I, I got yeah. Um, other family members have them too, and yeah, they're they're amazing. And I, like I said, I just, I just like something that goes away. So, mm, fair enough. But uh, yesterday I was riding an old wing I have, an old uh, V1 uh, Wasp. 
And I remember why that has not been blown up in three years. <laughs> Sorry, Wasp. <laughs> it was it was just the biggest bag that did nothing really? except for make my arm sore. It was horrible. I'm like, oh god. Okay, throw that thing away. Well, the the Nash V ones were were of that uh, of that one. I remember one of our buddies on the island got one, and he was so excited. I'm going to go out and learn in twelve knots, and I was like, No, you're not. And he's like, Yes, I am. And he comes back to the beach. He's like, Can I grab your F1? I said, Yeah, yeah, here. They're good in 30 plus, like when it's powered. Yeah, no, they're, they're great overpowered. They're great. Yeah, absolutely amazing overpowered. But it's just that I was fascinated by that, how certain brands came out with wings with, I guess it's the same as those little, uh, the old like Super Nintendo games and stuff. And even yeah. Nintendo games before, like you could pick your car and some had good steering and high end and low end and all that. I related to that. There's no bad wing. It just depends what you want to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, um, yeah, as I mentioned, Ken Ware's a good friend of mine. I write a lot of stuff for him, a lot of, you know, test out stuff for him. And I'm amazed at how well those duotones go upwind. How uh, fast they are, how stable they are. They're insane. I was like, this is nuts. But it doesn't behave the way I want a wing to behave for the waves. Because they do have that, okay, here we go. And I, yeah, that little bit of sway. I want, strictly fo- I want to strictly be focused on that wave, not what the wing's doing. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough. Because when you're getting into yeah. like Great Lake Swell or smaller Lake Swell, like we get in the island, I like that because it, it helps initiate my turns and I'm trying to be more yeah. quick and snappy because that's all that's what I'm getting. So I can do that, but I can I can see that because I used the Strike V1 this summer and I went to tack and it was still sitting in the other in the other area where I wanted it That's to move. That's classic straight V1, yeah. <laughs> it's like, where? oh yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't follow me around in that way. But as we said, it doesn't matter. It's based on that, so. Yeah, I had a good friend tell me, oh yeah, attack a uh, strike V1, you have to like do the baseball flick with the rear hand and you think you actually go where you want to go. If you don't do the little baseball flick, it just, it stays over there. It doesn't care. Yep, definitely experience that, but. Um, I guess we've covered a ton and and is there anything else specific that you think somebody at home should know? Probably not. We covered not it. Not on my side, no. If I had nothing specific anyway, I'm just rambling. So. No, no, that was good rambling. I was I was yeah, it was just it's it's an honor to talk to you. Um especially, and there's not enough wind like, out there for me to get get antsy, so it's okay. Oh yeah, fair enough. And here in the East Coast we have had two days in three weeks. I'm waiting on my next session. Water just yep. got cold too, so uh, well, that's good. It gives you more flotation. Yeah, that's true. Salt With that gives big a dry suit on. <laughs> As an it old six five four with the holes, and then I got this two male shirt, and then I'm starting to think, you know, there's warmer places in the world, eh? Like yeah. Maui's not far away. Mexico's there's pretty also nice. newer wetsuits in the world too than that. Okay. <laughs> See, they tear, you know, these seasonal limits mass, they don't break. At least I know I'm safe with that, but these wetsuits, yeah. they don't hold up. <laughs> no, they tear. See, again, they're smart. They make sure you buy a new one every couple of years. Yeah, that's it. So I guess what we can say is you got to keep the support train going. But anyway, I just want to say on behalf of everybody, like, thanks for, for doing this. You didn't, you didn't necessarily have to. Um, and just looking back at this, I think that that's so cool to be able to talk to you with, with that whole history and, and then. Eh? contributed to a heck of a lot of fun out there for a lot of people 
That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, it's we have to have fun. That's for sure. We have to have good good toys to play with because we don't have much time to play. So, yeah, that's I'm, true. I never liked to swim back in the windsurfing days. Uh, to me, it's like I, especially when I was you know windsurfing the Midwest. Same thing. It's so few good days. You get three or four good days a year. If you break your gear one day, it's like there goes twenty five percent, thirty three percent. You're saving for the year. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to break gear. I, yeah. I always want to make sure you have gear you trust. Yeah, actually, and that's yeah. why I just had um, Omen foils on. Yeah, and yeah, y- yeah. They make uh, well, yeah. You make their their masks, so that was uh, that was pretty cool talking to them. And um, they got their yeah their boards are manufactured by Apple Tree. So another yep. kind of yep. cool liaison. And, yeah, Winger's making the boards. Yeah, for them. yeah so that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, those, they're some good guys. I like those guys, Winger. I like the other guys, the good guys. Yeah, they're some nice foils. That's some fun stuff. Yeah, I'm gonna when I get back to Vic there in the spring, he's gonna take me. We're gonna do some prone and uh, also just nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna demo that thing and see how that feels like because they're using stainless steel um, mixture of that plus carbon. Yeah. Yeah, they, they've Which got is, some interesting things going on there with the structure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that closer. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we do the mass for them. We do a couple other bits for them. Yeah. It's been a fun fun partnership to get some of that stuff for them. And, and they, def, they definitely benefited from all of our, our year plus of effort on the V2. Well, well that's the thing. And that's exactly what he said because it's like I can, I said, these guys are, are running such a high quality product as manufacturers and then why not want to form a, a relationship with them and then help yep. bring that product out like it makes sense for for companies definitely it makes sense. sense and then yeah and then you're not i guess your your business model grows and then obviously more and more companies do that no. then you can yeah that'd be okay the, the the rec side of our business we've always looked at it some way just to keep people busy when they have nothing else to do that's cool. We do it because we love it. We don't we don't do it to make a buck in bricks. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard too. The, yep. So making satellites and what else is your main maker? Oh, we we do some military stuff. Uh, we don't do anything that kills people. That's kind of one of my things. I've never been I've never been one to build an offensive weapon. I just I feel that if you're gonna kill somebody, you get up close and personal with them and kill them, not do it from a thousand miles away. So. Um, so, but we do some military stuff on the defensive side. Um, do some. Uh, we do quite a bit of stuff for a little rocket company down in Southern California that lands rockets that we can't name. Uh, we it? build all the landing assembly, all that thing for them, and a bunch of stuff in the upper side of the rockets. Uh, oh no! Some of the rocket companies we build parts for hardware and spacecraft. Uh, we got some. You know, we got a lot of stuff floating around in space and stuff that land on that's land on other planets. That type of thing. Which is kind of cool to think. It's like, oh, part that we made is actually on another planet now. So, Did you get to Mars? I can't answer that. <laughs> NDA. <laughs> yep, NDA. But uh, and we do and we do a lot of satellite work. We do a lot of satellite primary structure, which is very intricate. Very, I mean, very light little fine detail parts. I mean, some of the parts that we make actually are so delicate that in Earth's gravity of one, one G of gravity will actually tell the part if it's held in the wrong direction. It will only survive and do its job in space. It actually won't survive and do its job on, on Earth. So some of these oh, telescoping wow. boom assemblies have to be tested and suspended with helium balloons. They never feel the pull in the Earth's gravity. So, There's so much, eh? 
And well, some of those parts are made with the most expensive material we use is eight thousand dollars per pound on those type of parts. Which is okay. kind of disturbing. Thousand dollars a pound. Per pound. Yeah. yeah. So highly regulated then. Very highly regulated and yeah, it's very and very finicky material. You look at it wrong and it breaks. It's so rich and so stiff. Very but that, that's, you know, we do a lot of different stuff. We also do some fun industrial work, uh, make some things, you know, different. We're across a lot of industries. And like I mentioned before, America's Cup, there's not an America's Cup boat out there in the past three go-arounds we don't have hardware on. Oh, wow. It's important, so. A lot of different things. So we just stay diverse across a lot of industries. And, and recreation, like I said, we do recreation and keep it fun and keep pushing the industry and, you know, Help absorb some overhead, get people stuff to do. And your rent, obviously, still fifty bucks, so it's not too bad. Eh? Rent, yeah, fifty bucks. A, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> That's all changed. Yeah, we actually have we have a sixty-five thousand square foot facility we built, purpose built just for ourselves up in the woods. We okay. sit up in the woods up in White Salmon. So you'll see it next year. Hopefully, you come out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna come to take a tour. That'd be super cool to see. Yeah, awesome. Be good. Looking forward to it. And if you make it to Maui, you know where to find me or go out and get a sash. I might be coming out this winter. We'll see. We'll see if I can organize it. But if, if so, yeah, that would be super fun. If not, it'll be hood next year. I wouldn't mind spending Sounds a month good. there. I wouldn't mind spending a month there. It's so close to yeah. Vancouver Island. Like It is. So close. Yeah. It's pretty in cool. In summers, it's hard to beat that place in summer. It's so, so beautiful. So much fun. Yeah. When does the current slow down? Is that June, July kind of thing, or because September was so cruisy, it was insane. Like it hardly depends. none. I mean, ish. they control the currents heavily there because of the fish oh, runs. Oh yeah, fair and enough. They will, the currents will change based on the fish runs. You know, um, May June is always high current because we have so much snow melt they have to get rid of it. But then you know, June, July, August, September, they kind of control the runs based on what's going on with fish. If there's many fish movement, they put more water through. If there's not, they hold the water back. Okay. Fair enough. One of the good reasons for dams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. And all the power they generate. That's a whole other story though. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk we can talk about that next time when your V three comes out. There we go. Cool. But then we may all just be living on some other power source. You never know. Yeah. Or maybe Mars. Guess we'll have to see what happens. There's no there's no lakes on Mars. That's what I'm not happy about right now. Yeah. I know. No lakes, no wind. Oh, there might be wind, but there'd oh, be no lakes. Oh, there's lots of wind. Lots yeah, of wind. but there'd be no lakes. Yeah, no lakes. Yeah. No, that would not be fun then. Yeah. Hmm. Have, you that, up, yeah. Uh, have you sailed up on Vancouver no, Island or up the Mars. coast there? No, oh, no. not Mars it? <laughs> not Mars. I've not sailed Vancouver Island. I've sailed uh, you know, off the Washington Coast, once I've up that, and Oregon Coast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's All a couple cool cold, lakes. Cold spots. Yeah, well, there's Nitnat is, I guess, one that can mention. Um, it's fairly, it's pretty warm in the summer, three two, four three kind of thing. Um, and it's just a fan. It's not huge chop, but you're in this old growth rainforest, and you get to like rip around. It's pretty special. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we had a couple spots in the woods where you can make these little kitchens and kind of. They're completely removed. It used to be full kind of remote off-grid camping. Now it's changed a little yeah. bit. It's a lot more more regulated. But for a few years, you That's would cool. pull up, do this path through the woods, hope to not get eaten by a cougar because it's pretty much North America's cougar capital. And you just sit up there and then you'll see like 
50, 60 guys first thing in the morning, ranging from 20 all the way up to 70. As soon as they see that first line of wind, because there's a thermal, everybody's sticking their heads out. <laughs> Pretty cool. So it's uh, it's definitely a cool spot. And uh, yeah, if you're ever in the area, let me know. Be fun to get yeah, you out there. Fun. That'd be pretty sweet. Be cool to see. Different kind of riding. It's super crazy, but the wind is it, just. If it's gusting more than one knot, people complain. <laughs> it's a I fan. Think, I think yes. Yesterday was uh, from six to twenty-four. Ooh, how long did the six last? A time is long enough that it's like, oh crap. Yeah. Okay. Stay. Stay. Oh, stay on the bump. Otherwise, you're off oil. Whoa. Okay. And then you got a what chicken jibe or what happens if you're getting close to a set and it's starting to uh, you just oh you just dive under obviously but then yeah what yeah, the yeah heck? sure <laughs> oh, yeah dive under with that wing that'll work no it's pretty much yeah you you're just if there's a big set this guy kicking you have to just either get over the train over the uh, shoulder or yeah you jibe on it and go okay so yeah yeah fair enough even if you don't want to. You know, if it's doing if it's doing this and big, I want it anyway. Yeah, that's fair. Even like, what happens if there's no wind and your board's on the water, and you're just like chugging out? I guess you could uh, turn. You could day. flat water. You could flat water jibe and then try to pump and then catch it. It's so pitchy, you'd kick it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it, it, going with it, it's not too bad. It's, if you can keep your shit together and just kind of stay forward on the board, you can take off in those ways without any wind. But you need to be prepared for the consequences if you screw that motion up, that whole move up. Yeah, that, that's up, one going, thing. That's one thing my brother and I practice a ton is super light wind, dry jiving, like when you're on, on the water and yeah. just jiving around and around. I was telling some guys, because I'm back in Ottawa for a little bit, and there was some guys who were saying like, you're going out in pretty light wind and you can't get up and this and that, and that's not worth it. And it's like, well, it's not, it's not for today. <laughs> it's yeah. if I'm in slightly bigger swell, even on like Ontario, other spots and it doesn't, and I need to turn around like all these little pieces, I think, cause exactly yeah. what you're talking about now, if you want to go out and have fun in those conditions for beginners, it's all that stuff. Like it's not a waste of time. Like none of that stuff is a waste of time. And I can uh, flat water jive to save my butt. That's something I've no? been. Okay. Yeah, it's something I've been working on recently because of, for that very reason. Because when you're yeah. just sitting there slogging, chugging, it's like I need to go get the sink turned around quickly, and I can do it on a board that floats. But on a sinky board. Oh that's a yeah, I was going to ask what kind of what size and was yeah. it sinking or not? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I'm okay. Running, you know, about seventy-five, and I weigh you know ninety kilos, so it's sinky. Minus twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that'll be. Huh? How do you water start that thing? I I I can get on top of it and get moving. You know, I'll have yeah. a little bit of a buff. I can go. Okay. So. Knee start or? Knee start, yeah. Knee start, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey Steve, thanks for thanks for joining me. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thank sh- you for having share. me. Yeah, sharing all that with us, and hopefully it's interesting to somebody out there. I think it'd be interesting to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Since the V2 just came out and there's a lot of people talking about it. Um, So thanks for sharing all that, how it was made and and then going into some of the history as well. Pretty cool. Yeah, happy to. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for joining us tonight. And next time we have Steve on, maybe we'll talk about the V3. All right. Sweet. (laughs) Thanks, Nick. All right, man. We'll talk soon.